Brent did a great job last week introducing uh, the series we're in. It's uh, the book of James, the letter of James. And, uh, and if you missed it, I want you to, I want you to make sure you see it. It's, uh, you can check it out on the YouTube channel or uh, our YouTube channel or onechapel.com. And he worked through the first eight verses. So today we're going to continue this series and we're going to kind of review the rest of chapter one. So today I've been, you know, uh, it's interesting when you're away, you kind of, um, you, you're, it's good because, because you're getting a, a new perspective and you're getting space and all that. But at some point you kind of, you kind of miss your friends. You miss your family. And that happened to Amy and I. And we want you to know how glad we are to be here today. And so a lot of stuff is churning in my mind and my heart and my soul, and I'm not going to throw it all up on you today, but, but there's going to be a few different things that, that you'll see and you'll notice that God is working, percolating in me. And one of them is respect for God's word, just a renewed respect for his word. So I want to invite you to just stand with me this morning as we read, and we're going to one of the things that Bible scholars say about the book of James is you need to read James and let James comment on James. Because there's a lot there and you need, to, you need to see it and you need to absorb it. And so I want us to just, as we read the, this, this chapter, we're gonna read the whole chapter, all right? And uh, I just want you to, it's gonna be on the screen, I'm gonna read it to you and I just want you to let it come into your soul. Let it come into your heart. Let it have its way. Father, we just invite you now. Holy Spirit, come and, and work your will in our lives. Work your way into us from your words. We make room for your words this morning. In Jesus' name. James chapter one says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat, especially in Texas, and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and be its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that, he, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Everyone say amen or oh me. Amen. <laughs> you may be seated. That's a, that's, that's a chapter that packs a wallop. <laughs> it has so many things in it. And this letter from the half-brother of Jesus, which Pastor Brent talked about last week, this, this man, this, this person is believed to be the half-brother of Jesus and the leader of the mother church in Jerusalem. And he's speaking... Most Bible scholars believe this is one of the first letters that was written in AD 44 in the scriptures. And, and so, so there's a lot of discussion going on. Jesus has been resurrected for about 11 years, if that holds true. And James has had a powerful encounter. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It talks about uh, Paul's discussing the resurrection and he says he says all these people had seen Jesus and he names James and he says and and he appeared to James because as we know from the other scriptures Jesus's family his brothers and sisters were not necessarily followers they didn't necessarily believe him but but after the resurrection James had a a change a transformation and he begins to lead this community of believers in Jerusalem, these mostly Jewish believers. And so he comes from a perspective that is from the Torah. Everybody say Torah. Torah, Torah is the, is, are, are, are a lot of the, the rules and regulations, the, the, the way that we should follow God and things that he wants us to do. But James 
is more than just a list of things in this letter, although you could be tempted to just go through the list. James is talking about something that has transformed his life because he's not just making a list of these things, which would just be a repeat of the Torah. He is actually He has actually been transformed in his faith, by his faith in Jesus, and has witnessed resurrection life and power. And that that work is having its deep effect in James. Scott McKnight, the brilliant author and scholar, he writes in the International Commentary on the New Testament, he says this, he says, the themes of James are not simply advice. The substance of these themes are life and death. And James's intent in using them is to draw his readers into the world that leads to life and away from the world that leads to death. Now you have to understand there were cultural influences that were being adopted within the church, right? It, and so think about this. The, the, the culture that was going on around them, I'll just read some description to you. It was a culture of division and divisiveness. It was, there was racial and ethnic hatred and violence. There was a culture of political oppression and calculation. There was a culture of economic power and corruption, of judging and rejection of others, of slander and gossip, which was the norm. Sexual immorality was rampant. It was just part of the culture. This is the widespread culture of the world James is writing to. Does it sound familiar? We can learn so much from this. So I want, I, want to, I want to do some things today that clear up some misunderstandings, some misconceptions about what we're doing here, um, about what this is, about what this church is. He's writing to a church and he's saying, hey, you need to be a reflection of who Jesus is and I want to show you how to do that. And I want to encourage you in doing it. And so we're going to pick up the chapter in verse 9. And so if you're following with me, you can open your Bibles or you can go. I think you can use a QR code still to get to the message notes, right? And uh, man, it's been a long time since I've been here. So, um, so you can use that QR code and follow along with message notes and, and, and it'll be really helpful for you. So in verse 9, here's what... James says, he says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. And then he says, in the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And so, there's a tendency for you in the room to, as soon as I started talking about the rich, you tuned out because you're like, I'm not, I'm not rich. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can barely make it every month. <laughs> I, I, I'm doing everything I can. I, I, I hate to tell you this, but because you live in America, you are among the richest on the planet. That we forget. We forget. We're indoctrinated by comparison and by all these um, material things, it, it, it's, we, we, we struggle with it. it. It's a real problem in our own hearts, in my heart as a pastor. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge, but he's saying, hey, it's, you, gotta, you gotta remember, the rich and poor alike, they fade away. Another passage in the scripture says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We don't really like that verse. Isn't God supposed to, isn't he promising me all this stuff? Like, I don't want rain. 
I don't want heat. I don't want to fade. You have to understand that this context that we're working from is James is talking about the world and, and, its, and its failure to adopt the ways of God, its failure, its rejection of God, and its rejection of the ways of God. He says in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's holding out this future thing, but, but what, he's, what he's saying in this verse, I believe, is what he's referring to in verse two. Do you remember what verse two says? Verse two says, Consider it pure joy when you what? Face trials. Everybody says face trials. Face trials. Oh, everybody says. Everybody say trials. When you face trials, consider it joy because it's doing something in you. The joy comes from the process that's working in you. But in order to find that joy, you've got to really believe that God has a way that he works in us. And that's what James is, is laying out here. And what is happening in this church, I think, in Jerusalem is the poor and the rich are not getting along. Because there was a wide, a wide separation between poor and rich and a lot of racial and ethnic uh, division. It was, it, people were just separate. It was a miracle for people to come together. And so rich people are coming to Jesus and poor people are coming to Jesus. And James is coming from a Torah perspective which elevates the poor as the people who really understand what God is doing. Because they have to rely on him. Are you, are you with me on that? When I was a kid, uh, my dad was a pastor and um, and we, we, we grew up what I, what I would call lower social economic middle class. Maybe lower than that, I don't know. But I remember vividly being in elementary school in fifth grade, and there was, um, you know, shoes were a big deal. Today, if you look in my closet, I have more shoes than my wife has. I have, a, I have a fixation about shoes. I just, I like shoes. I want, I want to have nice shoes. And I, I have a scientific reason, right? Like, you don't have any other things to stand on besides your feet. You're going to be standing on them for 80 years. You should take care of them. Okay, that's, that's, that's all. But mostly it's because I was scarred as a fifth grader. <laughs> because, because my parents... My parents did not buy name brand shoes. Uh, Nikes were never on my, they were never on my feet. But all the other kids had Nikes and they made fun of all the kids that didn't have them. It became this weird comparison, right? It starts early, people. It happens in little children. It's in us. It's human. And, we, and we, we push other people down and we lift other people up based on what they have and who doesn't have. And it is a vile thing that people do to each other, that humans do to each other. And, 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 it's, and, and I, remember, I remember that feeling and it's affected me all my life, which is why I have to really be careful that I don't get too fixated on shoes. Recently, I realized I'm aging because I was willing to buy Skechers versus Nikes. 
telling you, people, they are so, there's, the arch fit is so comfortable. It's like <laughs> this amazing thing. It's incredible. <laughs> the first point I want you to get here as James is going through it is, first, we misunderstand our station in life. We attach all kinds of things to our station in life. When you get fixated on your station in life, it leads to some terrible things. It leads to quarreling, it leads to jealousy, it leads to envy, it leads to an ungrateful attitude. It It leads to being judgmental of others. And it goes both directions, rich and poor. And this church is struggling economically and relationally and racially and politically and theologically. And James is saying that your station in life, your cultural or ethnic group or your economic status are completely secondary to your identity in Jesus. That's what he's trying to teach them. Even as I say it, you don't believe me because you're indoctrinated by the world standards. But Jesus is putting together a new humanity. Jesus puts together a new group of people that don't, that don't prioritize their differences. They prioritize their unity. Now, unity is not very powerful if you don't have differences. So it's not as if they're not important or they're not valuable. But they cannot be the defining status of your life. Your, your, your defining Identity has to be in Jesus and your status in the kingdom of God needs to recognize that you are God's kids. You belong to the kingdom and the kingdom belongs to you. And for some of you, that means you need to humble yourself because you've been living too high and mighty. You're too connected to all that stuff. And for others of you, it means you need to get your eyes up on Jesus and know that he's gonna provide for your needs. That's what James is saying here. And so James is saying, embrace your position in Christ no matter your station in life. Say that with me. Embrace your position in Christ no matter your station in life. Let's go to the next passage, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away. Everybody say, dragged away. They're dra- what are we dragged away by? By their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting Shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits. God did something in us that, that makes us the first fruits that, of all that He created. And He gave us a role, He gave us a, a, a job, He gave us a, a calling, and that is to influence this world. That's what he's saying there. So number two, here's what I think happens. We misunderstand God's role in the world. This is a big question. 
everybody who's faced tragedy or difficulty, and Paul's talking about trials, right? But then he shifts in about halfway through, and he, and he, and he uses these, these two words, test, uh, testing and uh, tempting, they have a similar root, but it's changed here because he's talking about a different person, and I think it's very, very interesting. Um, this idea of testing, we, sometimes we get it wrong. We, we read through the scripture and we kind of get this idea that God is doing all the testing. I think, I think you have to be careful with how you position that because if you read back to verse two, you will see that it is trials that test your faith, not God who's testing your faith. Your trials will test your faith and God will allow that test to happen because there's a big bad world out here. And, and, and he, his, his goal is to make sure you're in the world, not of it, so you're not functioning according to its ways, but you're in it sharing his light and his love because that's what was his first design. God is a God of love that created a loving, beautiful, amazing world. And so we see this trial and temptation thing. James writes that trials test our faith and, and we are tempted not by God, but by what? What does it say? What are we tempted by? Our own desires. That's an interesting take on this thing. I wanna define trials for you, ready? Ready, here we go. Trials is unavoidable opportunities. Woo! Unavoidable opportunities for growing in faith and developing perseverance. That's what Pastor Brent spoke on last week. And we're all like, yay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of confusion around trials versus temptations. Trials are unavoidable because there's stuff that happens in this world that God is not interested in. He, want, he, he, didn't, he didn't start it, he didn't, he didn't do it, but he'll use it to craft our character and to mold us and shape us. But temptations is something that he just doesn't, he doesn't do at all. He's not tempted by evil, James says. That's an interesting idea. Because sometimes we bring God down to our level and we see God in a human lens. And we think, oh, he's, he's moved and motivated by different things and he's motivated by evil. He's not. he's not. He's not tempted by evil. He's not moved. He has a purpose and a plan. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But here's the, the, here's the definition of temptations. Ready? Specific and strategic enticements for selfish desires and sinful actions. That's the temptation. And I, and, and I, I want you to realize but that enticement is the thing we're trying to avoid. And I want to encourage you in your fight against temptation, because all of us have temptations. You realize that, don't you? And temptation is not sin, right? Just, just to clarify, Jesus was actually tempted. Okay, so you're, you're gonna be tempted, we're, gonna be, we're all gonna be tempted, but the, here's, the, here's the thing. It always takes the devil two moves to get you. Did you know this? He can never get you with one move. Trials can come, you know, there's kind of three, three uh, dynamics going on. There's the world, there's your flesh, and there's Satan himself, right? Or a big hierarchy, a demonic hierarchy. And all that stuff could come against you, but it takes him two moves. He might make the first move, but the second move is yours. 
You can always resist temptation. The scripture teaches that, that Jesus understands temptation and we aren't tempted in, in any different way. Jesus was tempted just like we are and without sin. But it also, scriptures also teach that temptation can come to us and we can stand up under it. We can, we can refuse it. We can endure it. And, and I think we have to embrace that. James is talking about this. But here's the thing. The devil is relentless. And so he's, is, he's insidious in the culture we live in. There's stuff we do, we get sucked into, we get trapped by, and the devil will use it all to get you. He'll use your past, your hurts, your fears, your failures, your needs, your eyes, your ears, your friends, your self-esteem, your enemies, your crazy uncle, your stupid boss, your foolish decisions. He'll use it all and he'll utilize it so that your soul has, is drawn an illicit response that feeds your evil desires. Evil desires then give birth to sin and sin when it is full grown leads, gives birth to death. But here's what James is saying. God doesn't work like that at all. He's the giver of good gifts. He's the giver of good gifts. Some of you are thinking, well, why is there so much, one of the, why is there so much evil? Why is there so many bad things? So many people question this thing right here. Well, couldn't, couldn't God fix it? Like, if, if evil's so bad, like, I, I, I hear it on the news, I hear it in TV shows, it's like, well, I don't know if I can believe in a God who would let that happen. And you, most of you understand that the reason that happens is because we can't have love or a loving relationship without a choice. And because God gave you a choice and me a choice and Adam a choice and every person who's ever lived a choice, we have to, in, we, we like endure this mess, this brokenness. And I, I think this question is really hard to answer. How does God interact with all these things. The cool thing is, is since God is the giver of good gifts, he's always providing a way for that list I just read that the devil uses. You know that, did, did you hear me? Your, your stupid boss and your crazy uncle and all that. God is willing to give you good gifts to deal with any and all of those things. He does, that's, that's why the scriptures are so powerful. <laughs> that's why the Bible's so thick. There's a lot of stuff that you and I need. And I, I, I've been fond of saying a couple things, you know, teaching over the years, and I want to remind you of it. There are four major forces at work in the world, and if you want to write this down, you can. Four forces at work in the world. Number one, number one force is God's will. Everybody say God's will. Did you know that Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, he actually teaches that we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on where? Earth as it is where? So God's will is done in heaven. But not on earth. Interesting. We're part of bringing God's will to the earth. His kingdom rule. But in heaven, everything's, everything's perfect. Everything's beautiful. God's will is immediately done. There's no, people aren't sick. There's no doctors in heaven. There's probably doctors, but they're not practicing. 
I'm not sure about lawyers, but I think, I think that, I'm sure there are some Jesus-loving lawyers. So, so there, there's no people suing each other and, and, and being angry at each other and jealousy. It's all been, every tear is being wiped away in heaven. That's what, that's what Revelation says. And so if you read the, the, the prayer of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, you will find that it says that we are, the reason for prayer is collaboration with him to bring the kingdom to the planet. So that's God's will. But then the second one is Satan's will. God's will, Satan's will. And I, and I think we have to really understand this. Um, there's a spiritual warfare component for everything we do. There's a thief, there's an enemy, there's a, such a thing as evil, there's an elaborate, demonic, spiritual hierarchy in operation in the world. It's a hierarchy of intimidation and fear and coercion that exists to take you and I down, that exists to feed on the idolatry and love that we have. This is what Jesus himself explained when he was tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness. And it's why we have to really understand stuff that's going on around us has a root. It has something behind it. Even trials have someone behind it trying to manipulate and twist it so that you'll be sucked in. But the third thing is human will because your human, the human will is, what I like to say is it's the second most powerful force in the universe. And the reason it's not number one is because God's will knows how to take even bad things and change it for good. And if that's true, and you and I believe that's true, and that's what the scripture says, that means we can trust him even in the bad days. Even in the bad days. I spent the better part of the last two weeks with Amy in the hospital in Temple because my, our good friend Cindy Street Matter is laying in a hospital bed there. And some of you know the Street Matters. And they're 30 some year friends of ours and, and, uh, and she, she had heart failure and, and, and they're, they've done everything they can. They're trying to f- figure out how to, how to help her. And uh, it's at moments like that where you see, and I encourage you to pray for Steve and pray for the family. We've been praying, and a bunch of you already connected on it, and, and you've been digging in. And it's the intersection of the brokenness of our world and God's grace for whatever's happening. It's so hard. A bunch of you are facing different things in your life where you're just like, God, why do I have to face this? Here's the power of it you can decide what to do in the middle of it. That's what James is saying. You can tap into some kind of faith that looks toward the joy that is coming. That's what Jesus did. He says, Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. (laughs) We all all, kind of have this mindset, well, Jesus went to the cross, so I don't have to. Actually... Jesus told all his disciples, you got to deny yourself every day and take up your cross and follow him. And in that following, in that surrender, in that yieldedness, a power comes upon you and me to make the decision, to make the decisions 
that change our lives, that change other people's lives, to love in the face of failure on the part of somebody else, to forgive when someone has wounded us and hurt us, to resist comparison and jealousy. This is what God has given you. You can choose. God's will, devil's will, human will. And what's the last one? The last one's natural law. Everybody say it, natural law. Come on up, guys. Natural law. Here's the thing. Gravity is a law of the universe. Did you know this? God is not killing people with gravity. Even though when you look in the mirror, you feel like he might be. Because gravity is winning. I don't know what that is. Exactly. It's a force in the universe, right? Natural law. It's going to happen. Jumping off a building will get you killed. Bacteria is part of the natural fallen world we live in so we can get sick. Everywhere we look, the natural laws begin to govern our world. And so sowing and reaping is a natural law. You sow good things, you're going to get good things back. You sow bad things, you're going to get bad things back. Some people call it karma. But I believe it's God's law on display. The point is everywhere you look, there are signs of temporary life. And these forces, they're not all equal. As I said, those who believe in Jesus, God's will wins out. That's really true. That's where our hope lies. Listen, God's will is going to win out ultimately anyway for everybody. It's just that for those who belong to Jesus, it's going to work out good. And those who don't know and won't have decided to reject him, not so much. Are you guys with me? James is saying, trust that God is good and he will restore his broken world. He will restore it. I got through two of the five. Maybe I'll do the next three in the next service. And everybody, that'd be awesome. James is trying to get us to see something. What he's trying to get us to see is God is in the midst of the trials and he's in the midst of the temptations and he's in the midst of the comparison and the the cultural phenomenon that we're all living in. But he wants, he's encouraging this family of faith and I wanna encourage you, One Chapel, you can decide You can decide to resist the enemy. When you resist, he will flee. Submit to God, and God will change you. He may change your circumstances, but I promise he'll change you, which is the point. Now, if you've listened to me talk for the last 30 minutes, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, I got to do better. I gotta really, I haven't been doing very good. I've been kind of lazy. I I need to read the scripture. I need to read. You would miss the whole point of this message if you come with that conclusion. What I want you to do is I want you to come to Jesus because Jesus is the one, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his payment for all of our sin, his way is only attainable when you yield everything to him. His blood was poured out so that every sin that you're tempted with could be defeated. He gave himself 
in your place so that no sin could define the rest of your life. That's true. But it starts with coming to him. It starts with yielding to him. It starts with surrendering. And then he begins to work it out so that you're, you're, the power of the spirit and the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in you begins to work in the midst of all this chaos. That's the gospel. And I want to return to the gospel as we end today. We're going to go into worship and I want us to come to the Lord's table. So I want you just to lean forward and grab a hold of those communion elements. We've got, for the first row, you've got some elements here on the tables. Babe, could you bring me one? And I want you to realize, I know it's in a little plastic thing, but, but here's, the, here's the deal. The thing that makes communion powerful is your own faith. So some of you need to repent today because you realize you've just been living life on your own. You've been living life without, without Jesus being in charge. You just need to come back to him. The next passage is really about how you need to do what the scripture says. And a bunch of you haven't been doing what the scripture says. Okay, so how do you do it? Oh, I gotta do it harder, I gotta do it more. No, you gotta come to Jesus. And you gotta repent, you gotta yield, you gotta surrender all your ways and then begin to embrace his ways. And so when you peel back this layer, I want you to have faith that the body of Christ is powerful enough to heal you. Powerful enough to sustain you in the midst of trial and temptation. It is nourishing spiritually. When you come to this moment, and you receive that bread. And I want you to pray, I want you to repent, I want you to yield, whatever you need to surrender, whatever you need to offer him, I want you to do it. A bunch of you are thinking about it right now, and I want you to do that before you receive this bread and this cup. The cup represents the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is the way you may need to obey God today. And when you, when you get used to repenting as I have <laughs> you just realize that the gospel is so good because a step of disobedience or several steps of disobedience can immediately be resisted rejected undone by one step of obedience repentance are you with me it's a positive word so I want us to worship open your hands up unless when you're ready you can take it on your own Father, we come to you. We ask you to reveal yourself. Jesus, reveal who you are in us and through us. You are for us. You have empowered us. You've unleashed the spirit that raised you from the dead. It now can live inside of humans. We thank you for the message of the cross and the message of salvation. And we enter it. Forgive us, Lord, for comparing ourselves with others. Forgive us for envying others. Forgive us for being unforgiving. Forgive us, Lord, for misunderstanding what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in the world. We trust you, we receive you, and we honor you now. In Jesus' name.